Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Christina Hernandez and Cy Burnaby sharing how they navigated their journey through ART, planned for home birth, and ended at the hospital with a belly birth. We are honored to hear about their journey today. Hello, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. We're happy to be here. We are thrilled. We are thrilled. Can you both start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and then your family? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Christina. I am born and raised in Las Vegas, but my people are from Mexico and Cuba. And I'm a birth worker, a full spectrum birth worker. Been that for the last four years. Uh, my name is Sai Burnaby. I'm also born and raised in Las Vegas. Uh, I am the executive director of Gender Justice Nevada. So I'm an educator, agitator, activist, all the good stuff. We love a good agitator. <laughs> <laughs> the disruptors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Yeah, so... Um, well, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, so already we had like one slash against us to begin um, because I didn't really ovulate very often. And so originally when we were thinking about having a family, we were wanting to do something at home with a midwife, um, like an IUI, but we were unable to do that because of the polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it took us about like six months to kind of figure that out, that we weren't able to do that since I couldn't really track when I was ovulating. And so that also kind of brought in like, how do we want to have this baby? Who do we want to have this baby with? What are the options that are available to queer couples? And so originally we wanted to have, you know, kind of do communal family. Uh, that didn't really work out. So we ended up going with a sperm bank. And then we found um, our midwife had actually sent us to a fertility center here locally. And we started that process. We did two IUIs that failed. Uh, so no pregnancy. Uh, at that point, our doctor really recommended us doing IVF uh, just because the chances were a lot higher. So we moved on to that. And the first try, we got pregnant with twins. Um, but unfortunately we had a loss at six weeks, which was pretty traumatic. Um, and then we tried again shortly thereafter, got pregnant again, but that was also not viable. Um, so I think at the time they told us it was a like false positive that we had. And so at that point we kind of took a little break because IVF is so draining and, it was all encompassing, um, you know, the shots, the medications, the blood work every day going and getting all that good stuff do, done. And so um, particularly after the miscarriage, we kind of had talked about it and said, you know, we'll try once again. And if not, we'll take a break for a little while because I felt like certainly my body and my mind needed not to think about getting pregnant. <laughs> um and then we tried around, so like our miscarriage happened in December, we tried again, and then we took from like, I think it was March until June, we took off. And then in June, we tried again, uh, we did get pregnant, 
And now we have Sophia and Joseph. Taking that time away, um, like you said, it's like fully encompassing, not only your body, but also like you said, your mind of this, like trying to get pregnant, trying to do all of these things. Um, And I think for those who, I don't want to, what's the way I can say this? who tend to have a, um, a journey that goes quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, we sometimes aren't able to see when that journey, like for those whose journey isn't the same way. Yeah. Um, and how do we support um, family or friends who are going through a journey like that? Right. right. Um, you know, being on your own journey, we're like, Oh, if you tend to have family or friends who are like, maybe pregnant at the same time as you or around you, like how do I support someone else whose journey is taking a bit yeah. longer or needing, um, some more space yeah. for it, right? Yeah. Um, and understanding that toll that it has, um, not only for you, Christina, but also Sai for you as well, right? As a support, um, as the partner and the support person in that, um, and taking that space to be like, okay, we need a break, yeah. step away. Yeah, because so. yeah, all those failed, you know, IUIs or those pregnancy tests that are negative—that's that's hard. I remember. One day after one of our um, negative pregnancy tests, just sitting there kind of thinking like, like, what, why is my body like failing me in some way, you know? And so they were very supportive through that process. But, you know, like, and luckily they did all my shots because <laughs> I couldn't do the shots. <laughs> so I was grateful for them to do that for me. But yeah, it's that, you know, just needing to take a break because it does begin to just consume you so much and you think about like whatever like sex education you've had, whether it's from school or family and stuff, you spend so much time like talking about not getting pregnant, right? Or <laughs> trying not to be pregnant or uh-huh. at some level or another that no one's teaching you how to get pregnant and how to, you know, what the challenges could be. Like none of that stuff is discussed. We're so busy just trying to manage someone else's life in a way, right? Um, That we're not educating what the body actually does, what affects the body, what is even causing PCOS, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely when you think about PCOS specifically and how many of us have it um, and thinking about how long we were on birth control and like not really knowing at that age, like the effects of birth control was just like, don't get pregnant. (laughs) Whatever you got to do, don't get pregnant, you know, so. Before going, actually, before going to this next question, uh, well, maybe it encompasses this. So how did you prepare for birth? Um, Was it something that you were thinking about throughout the pregnancy? And I think I also want to ask, like, how, what was healing like for you in that preparation from, you know, your pregnant, your, your trying to get pregnant, um, the losses that you had? How did that all happen? What did that look like for y'all? Yeah. Um, so at the time, right before I got pregnant, we I was a director of a women's center at our campus university. And so we had begun to incorporate lactation rooms. And through that, I was able to meet, um, you know, some midwives, uh, local midwives in town, because I didn't know much about like our birth community or even like home birth. You know, at that point, I think I'd just always known about like hospital births. Um, So that kind of began my like, um, just like understanding of what home birth was, what a midwife did. And so um, 
I started reading a couple of books. We had met with a midwife uh, when we were trying to do the IUI with her. Um, And so she had given us some stuff to read, some books to read about, um, I think the one that she had recommended was taking charge of your fertility. So I was beginning to learn more about like my body. Um, And then once we did get pregnant, we went to a childbirth education Mm -hmm. class so now as a childbirth educator, I'm like, oh, it was not that great. <laughs> but, you know, like it was OK. Um, and I think like I came into it with a lot of naivety. I didn't have like younger siblings growing up. I hadn't really ever been around babies, you know, um, just the whole concept of birth. Um, when she talked about having a home birth. I, I was just like, no, that that seems very dangerous. Like oh, there, there needs to be like a team it. of doctors <laughs> with lots of drugs at the ready. And uh, and then she was talking about bringing in what was that the birthing, the 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 water thing. Oh yeah. And we had just installed brand new hardwood floors, and I was like, I don't think that's a good. I don't think that'll be good for the floors. I just didn't know how much better that of an experience would be. Cause I'd never had any kind of exposure to any of that. And I just thought that you get pregnant, you go to the hospital, you have a baby, you just let the doctors make all the decisions and, and you just don't question anything. And then they give you a baby and you take it home. <laughs> and I mean, everything from like, you know, um, what like circumcision stuff like that. I was like, well, yeah, obviously you get that done because that's, that was like the social norm. And so there was a lot of learning for me to do in that couple of years up to the birth, to to the birth of like, of really understanding that there are better, there's lots of alternatives and options out there. And I just didn't know that. And I kind of felt like she's the one carrying the baby. So to me, the decision really lies in, in what she wants to do. I'm there to support her and however I can and what I can do, but you know, it's her body. And she's the one really going through this birth. And so it was just me, you know, her and I learning all of these things beforehand. And still, I mean, I remember when we were sitting down and going over the birth plan, I was like, I didn't even know you could write a birth plan. I didn't know that you could actually say like, this is, these are the things I want. And I didn't know you could do that. Um, And then for healing, I think, you know, after when we did have the miscarriage, the reason why I was kind of traumatic, well, I mean, miscarriage is traumatic in general, but so we had um, lost one and I was actually at the airport. It was horrible. And so I had called her because I had started bleeding that morning and then I kind of just like, oh, it's fine. Um, I got to the hot, to the airport and I just felt like wetness and I was like, oh no. So I remember going to the bathroom Um And, you know, seeing uh, blood and, you know, just like constant bleeding. And I remember like coming out of the bathroom and like, I'm just full of blood and I have my suitcase. And luckily, like there was um, someone that worked there and he like brought, he's like, you know, ma'am, do you need help? And, and so he brought me over a wheelchair and I had called them and asked them to come pick me up. And so we had called our fertility doctor and they said, just like, come right over And so, you know, got there, went in, um, you know, they verified that we had lost one. And so they, so, but what, we still had one. And um, at that point, like, Sai had gone out to the car to get my clothes 
And so I remember like standing up and something coming out. And I was just like, uh, you know, like kind of freaking out and called for the nurse. And so she came in and I said, you know, what is this? And I mean, now I know it was, it was the embryo, but, um, or the fetus, but she was like, oh, that's just probably, you know, what you just lost. And so I was like, okay. So we like went home and then the next day we came back for blood work and then they verified that we had lost both. And so at that point, like, I remember just looking at and being like, I just need to get out of here. And so I'm a water sign and the ocean just brings me a lot of like cleansing and healing. And so that's what we did. We drove out to um, California and we went to the beach and I just, um, so I like left me alone for like a little while and I just sat there and, you know, tried to like process uh, that losing them. Um, And so I think it was hard, you know, during the pregnancy, there were times where it was, we had a scare at 13 weeks because I remember we hadn't told anyone because we're like, well, with the first one, we were pretty quick to tell folks. And then that felt pretty shitty afterwards, you know, once we had the loss, which is a lot of people's experience. But um, so we hadn't told anyone. And so we waited till like 12 weeks. We had just announced that we were pregnant with twins. And then at 13 weeks, I started bleeding again. And I was just like, you know, I really thought at that point we had lost them again. Uh, thankfully we did not. And I had, um, oh, what's that called? Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. So I had just a lot of bleeding, but they were still okay. But it was scary, you know, the whole pregnancy, especially with twins. I think that you're always just worried and nervous that something's going to happen. Um, but thankfully my pregnancy went really well up until the end. Um, I did want to just tap on to like, how was your anxiety? Like, I know that you, you know, we hold all that in our bodies and I can just imagine like just that period of time of literally holding your breath. Right. Um, how was that for you during that time period? Um, I mean, or both of you really? uh, Yeah. I think I just, you know, I, um, our midwife had given us some hypnobirthing like videotapes because we couldn't afford to, you know, that's the thing. Like they don't tell you how much IVF is. And even though it's like not as expensive as maybe like 20 years ago, it's still a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and as like a queer couple, like our insurance doesn't cover that. So everything was really out of pocket. So um, in thinking about like, you know, doing extra things during my pregnancy. Like we just, you know, we did have a doula and a midwife, but that was kind of like it. So our midwife had given me some of the hypnobirthing like DVDs at the time. And so I had been doing, we had been trying that out and like doing it and that really helped to kind of like center me and to just like relax. But I think definitely throughout the whole pregnancy. It was, I remember feeling like I've never felt so vulnerable as a person, you know, in worried about every little thing and making sure that we maintain the pregnancy. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I I was anxious all the time. So like the pregnancy, um, it, it was, it felt like it was odd because I didn't really have any control. You know, I mean, I, I could, 
we did the nesting. We did a lot of nesting. The house was really, really clean. Um, and I mean, like building the baby furniture and doing all that kind of stuff and just getting excited for it. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was a long nine months. That's for sure. And, um, we, we found out that, that we were pregnant right after my brother passed away. So it was kind of a lot of mixed emotions. My family was going through a lot. And so I think when you announce a pregnancy, uh, on top of trauma, it's really hard because you feel sometimes like a little guilty for like, this is this great thing happening and we're celebrating and we're doing all of this at the same time. There's a lot of sadness that's happening in the family. And so you kind of have to, I don't know, balance all of that because you have a right to be very happy and celebrate, especially, you know, first birth, everything. Um, but it was harder, I think, on my side of the family to do a lot of that. So. Um, that makes me think about one of our storytellers, Danny Kilgore. And she said something like, um, joy and grief can exist in the same moment. Yeah. Yeah. And just how, like her saying that I was like, it was like permission for any of us who might be balancing something like that to understand that you can have both and that's okay. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that made me think about that from Danny. Um, thank you both for sharing that. Um, can you now tell us about your birth? Yes. So, um, so being pregnant with twins, you know, it was, it was kind of a interesting thing going from the fertility center to our provider. So we had a really good experience at our fertility center. Like they were very queer inclusive. Like even when we had the miscarriage at the doctor's office, like a lot of the other folks were, you know, would ask, you know, Sai how they're feeling. And even when I would go in for blood work, they would ask me about them. And so we felt really good about this, about that place. Um, but when it was time to transfer care, it was a really just not great experience because my doctor was pretty much against me going to a midwife because I was pregnant with twins. And even like people like the front desk would be like, okay, so who's your doctor? And I'm like, my midwife is. <laughs> and, um, you know, I kept having to kind of push back against that. And I remember him saying to me, like, you know, we've worked so hard for these babies. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, I mean, you did one piece of it. Like, I appreciate it. But like, we did all the work. <laughs> and we're pretty smart people. So like, we understand the risks, you know, so anyways, we finally got released uh, to our midwife. And so uh, she had said, you know, like, it's practice for us to have a high risk doctor for you to just get checked out to make sure we have um, that collaboration and that team effort. And so the doctor that she had referred me to his luckily his wife was a midwife. Um, and so he was really supportive of us doing a home birth and didn't really I never felt like he pushed back on anything. But then around, I think it was like 30 weeks, uh, baby A was a uh, breach. And so he's like, okay, you know, kind of have some time. Um, they had wanted to start us on like, I think it was like twice a week stress tests at like 32 weeks. And I was like, oh, it seems pretty excessive. Um, and I had spoken to my midwife and she was like, well, let's do like one week there and one week with me. And so we felt comfortable with that. Um, 
and then we got to like 34 weeks, I think. And I remember I started getting swelling, but I just kept being like, oh, you know, like I'm carrying twins, like I'm pretty big. And I remember like, so I was still, baby A was still breached. We didn't know their genders, so we would always call them baby A and B. Um, And I remember going in for like my 35th week appointment and I was like super nervous because I was like, I hope baby A's moved. Um, And so when they told me like, oh, you have like a really high blood pressure, I was just like, oh, it's probably because like I'm anxious because I don't want to hear like you can't have a home birth kind of thing. So um, we had talked to our midwife and she was fully comfortable doing a breach with twins. Um, We had even met like there was going to be her, her assistant, another midwife. And then I had hired a doula who was like within kind of like their group. Um, So we felt pretty comfortable with our team. And I think around like 36 weeks, um, we, I had gone in for a stress test and they looked at my legs and there, and my, I had another high like blood pressure. Uh, And so at that point they were like, you know, let's do a urine test, a 24 hour urine test. And so I had talked to our midwife and she's like, yeah, I recommend you do that. We just want to make sure that we roll out preeclampsia. Um, and so sure enough, so it was kind of interesting because my doctor, he uh, worked out here, but he lived in Colorado. So he would only see client or patients Thursdays and Fridays, and then he would fly out back home. And so it was like a Friday and we dropped off our, our urine test like at five. We went to eat and something told us, you know, like, because we had not, you know, this whole time we had prepared for a home birth. So we had not ever really thought about a hospital birth or what that would look like or packing for, you know, the hospital. Um, But that day I was like, you know what, maybe we should go and just get a couple things just in case. And we got home like around seven, my midwife called and was like, hey, I just got the report and you have preeclampsia. So she's like, I'm sure he's going to call you as soon as he gets off the plane and tell you you need to go to the hospital. Um, At that moment, I think we were just kind of not in shock, but just like, holy shit, like this is not all happening really fast. And, um, so we got home and sure enough, yep. He called and said, I already called the hospital. They're waiting for you. Um, you'll have a scheduled C-section tomorrow at 10. Um, and again, I just like, for me, I, I don't know. I think I was in a little bit of a shock, just kind of like also scared because I didn't really know what preeclampsia was um at that time and so I was you know it sounded really scary and kind of like you need to go to the hospital there's no like we're not going to talk about other options um that night my mucus plug came out and I remember looking at it like huh and I had started having some contractions I don't know if you remember on the way to the hospital Mm -hmm. to the doctor I was like oh that feels different um so we got to the hospital like around nine uh, and it was pretty bad. Like, I, you know, I hadn't called my doula. I don't know why I didn't call her. I just went to the hospital. 
Um, and so, you know, they were asking us all these questions and I just wasn't prepared. We were 37 and one. I mean, it was very rapid. Like, I feel like once we got into the hospital, um, that's when we had like family and friends calling and asking what's going on and everybody wanted an update. Um, but I remember we finally got into the room and I don't think we'd slept in a while. I think we had, I mean, I don't even remember. It's like, it's just a, a kind of foggy memories at this point. But I do remember the nurse giving away, she was rude, but she was, they were doing a, what is it called? When, like the ultrasound. Oh, that was the next day. And so it doesn't, so um, they were doing an ultrasound and we're very excited because we're thinking, oh my God, the kids are going to be born today or whatever. And she said, she's looking at the babies on the monitor and she said, what was it like? Oh, wow. Look at these little guys. These guys are really, I kept saying that. And we didn't tell her that we had kept the gender like a secret until the birth. So I'm like staring at her going, I can't believe for nine months we have been able to control this. And now you just told us the baby gen the baby's gender. I was like so upset at her because it just deflated the entire excitement of the day. And I think I think Christina was like, Yeah, we we didn't know, and now we know. And she goes, Oh no, 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 that's not the I just said guys, like an overall these two guys. And I was like, Okay, good. Cause I, like for me, that was just like such it was so hard to, and I was, I was just like so upset at the whole thing, but we did not find out until yeah. they were born. And then that night they wanted to give me, um, I remember they were like, oh, can we give you some Ambien to sleep? And I was like, uh, no, yeah, I, <laughs> I tried to, I tried to get it. I tried, I said, babe, just get it like, like a sample at Costco and then just, you know, kind of push it over to me and I'll take it. But she's a lot, she has yeah. ethics and morals yeah. and stuff. So we didn't really sleep th that much that night. And then the next morning, um, right when I was about to get up to go take a shower, my water broke. Um, and so, again, at that moment, I didn't really know to ask for, like, oh, like, here's some good signs. Can I try to labor myself? Um, but that's not something I knew at the time. So I remember, like, they were like, well, okay, we want you to lay down. Um, my midwife had gotten there and she was trying to, to go into the room with us, but they were pretty adamant about not. So like they would just pass the baton. Like they'd be like, well, if the doctor says it's okay, she can go in. Cause our hospital had a two or a one person in the operating room. And so, um, then the doctor would be like, well, the hospital says you can't be in there. You know, it was just like this back and forth. So but she did. I was very glad and happy that she was there because she really prepped me for like what to expect out of the C-section. So in the moments when like I felt, you know, like my chest hurting and like something was really heavy on it, I would start doing some of the hypnobirthing uh, breathing and just kind of going to that space. And so, yeah, we went in. Um, that was a, it was a very strange time because she had gone into the room. And they put me in like this, I don't know, waiting room, green room. I don't know what, you know, just like, and I didn't have my phone and it seemed like I was in there for, I don't know, like two or three days. It's like, there was, nobody would, would talk to me. I was just pacing the floor and it was like this tiled floor. And I remember just counting like eight tiles this way, eight tiles that way. And just like going in circles and, and the anxiety just growing. And then the nurse came in and said, okay, just another like 10 minutes. She, you've only been in here 10 minutes. I'm like, there's no way I've only been in here 10 minutes, but 
you know, and I didn't have a watch or anything. Um, and then finally I came in and she was there. The doctor was there. I think like there was a nurse in there and it seemed like a very small room. Like when you see these in like, you know, Grey's Anatomy or some kind of show, it's like this big room, very open, very airy. I think we were like in a custodian's closet or something. I don't know. They ran out of room or something, but. Jeez, baby. Yeah, it was, it was very small. No, it wasn't. It was, very small it was not. And yeah. so, but that was their argument, right? They're like, well, we're going to have two teams in there. So, like, your midwife can't be in it because we don't have enough space. And I was like, this place is huge. Like, even with two teams, like, and my midwife is super little. Like, she must be <laughs> fine. But yeah, so um, I did end up getting sick. So, as soon as the, baby were, the babies were born, they did bring them over to us. But um, they didn't to go to the NICU just for a couple hours. Um, and so Sai left with the babies. I remember being alone and then just like feeling like I had to throw up. Um, so I had told the anesthesiologist, like, I need to throw up. He like brought over something. And then they like gave me some shit that just fucked me up. Like, I don't even know what it was, but I don't remember much like, I remember like leaving to a room and then some of my family was there and just being like, like so out of it. Like I was just like looking at them. I can hear them. Uh, and I, then they, I mean, I don't know what happened. Can I tell them what happened during the C-section with your body? Oh God. <laughs> so they tell you, they put this little curtain up, this little privacy curtain between like, you they, know, in the middle of the body. Know. Yeah. So <laughs> and so she's giving birth and like a dumbass I look over the curtain because I just think like I'm never gonna see this again this has got to be something really incredible and the doctor is holding up one of her organs like in his hand as he's like doing so and I'm looking at it and it's still like connected and everything it's like it was very strange and I remember just looking at this dude and again, knowing he went to medical school. So he probably knows like where it goes in the body, like, you know, but just thinking like, you're going to put that back. Right. And she's awake. She's awake. And I think that like non-birthing partners should know about this <laughs> because when you see the person you love the most and you see parts of their body outside of their body, it's a very strange, surreal thing. I still haven't gotten that. I mean, I just, I was so worried for you because I felt like that was a necessary part of your body. And it, I'm d I hope he put it back right. I'm did sure. I'm okay. Sure. Hopefully he did. I'm sure. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, so I had a blockage of time from the time I went, I got to the room to when babies came to yeah. me. And I, I went with them. They were one was in NICU. Yeah. The other one wasn't. And um, I don't know. Like, I just remember thinking, like, this is the first time I'm going to interact with these children. So it's like a first impression. So I, uh, I, I presented them with the rental agreement that we have for the house. So, and I told them I don't need a deposit right away. They're like, eventually they'd have to get a job and kind of pitch in. Um, but they seemed cool. So we let them come home. Yeah. And they, they're not very good with chores, but... You know, they try. So they're, they kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's how Sophia and Joseph came to be. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful. 
<laughs> so beautiful and very necessary side partners should know non-person <laughs> partners should be aware wow. they should take some time to think about if they actually want to dip their head to the side don't or not yeah. don't do it just <laughs> curiosity <laughs> <laughs> Access and permission <laughs> are really tempting. Yeah. You're like, I'm here. I could just, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. that's what's going on over there. Lot. So, yeah. But it does speak to the fact that when people think about in preparation and even some people just nonchalantly even thinking of surgical birth, like, it's fine. It's okay. It's a major abdominal mm-hmm. surgery. And I think that sometimes it's because it's a necessary thing for some people's births, right? Um, and it's needed. But sometimes it's not given the um, weight and importance of how heavy it can be, um, especially in the recovery. But just thinking about it in the moment, how it's happening, and you're like, okay, we're just going to do this, and that's all right. And it is, right? You want to make sure, like, who's the, I trust this person, right? This the surgeon, the staff, um, and just that you have, it's a thought. It's something that you really have to, you're giving consent, right? And just being informed and knowing and ask all the questions that you need to ask about it, right? Oh, yeah. um, and make them say what the long-term effects could be, right? Like, yes, I want to be aware. I want to know what I need to look forward to. I want to know about how to deal with my incision. I want to know about, you know, moving scar tissue, all those different things that are not being talked about. You're looking at a sheet of paper. You, The first thing we all think about is surgery. So I know that it's somewhere on here that says that there's a risk that I might not survive it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's all people really think about is that I'm going under, or in some way or another, and something could go wrong. But they're not being told that, you know, 20 years from now, I might have some major, like, digestive issues because I've had, you know, um, an abdominal surgery and I have scar tissue and what that could lead and what that could shift and change in my body. So, And definitely adding on that they should be allowed to have their doulas or midwives back there with them. They sure should. Point blank, period. Okay. Things have shifted, right? <laughs> like we're doing a thing back here and I hired this person to be my person, my right. additional person, right? right? Right. And I mean, just your example of needing to be able to use the tools from the hypnobirthing, being able to have your midwife support you through that is important. Yeah, It's important. And also supporting, you know, partners who might want to look over the curtain, <laughs> just being able <laughs> But being able to still have that support because it's still your birth and it's still something that you need support with. Well, it's whether it's a belly birth or a vaginal birth, however it goes, you need to have your support people there to walk you through that, to, to guide you through that and make sure the energy of the room is still good and that you are still um, getting the birth that you envision, right? So, yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, looking back, like one, I didn't know my doctor because that wasn't my doctor. That was just a doctor from the practice because mine wasn't there. Um, And then two, like even just like the conversations they were having, the music they were playing. I remember just laying there being like, what? Like it was like some rock music. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) And, you know, again, it's like things that you don't really know, but just like, 
now knowing that you can have a family centered or a gentle centered cesarean or belly birth and all of, you know, just even thinking about like pushing when baby's coming out so that your body and your mind, even though you're numb, you still have that memory in your body, you know? Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, it was, it was, I think, you know, getting all the way to 37 weeks with twins felt really great. But then again, I felt like this, like let down of my body, you know, like, and because I also didn't really know a lot about preeclampsia, I didn't know, like, why did this happen? Or, you know, what were some of the risk factors that I had in order to have this? And, you know, now I've educated myself a lot more about preeclampsia as a doula to support families. But at the time, like, I didn't know anything about it. So it was just something that's really scary, which it is scary, you know, but there are things that we could like do. Um, and you could, I could have tried to have a labor at, at the hospital, but um, yeah. So tell us about how postpartum was for you. Oof. Postpartum. Well, um, again, because we didn't like plan for a hospital birth or a belly birth. Um, I didn't realize how much healing how long healing would take, especially like uh, those first nights um, were really hard because my blood pressure was really high and it was, they were trying to give me all this medication. It was, yeah, it was bad. Um, and so luckily like my mom had taken two weeks off work. Uh, actually, no, she waited until you went back to work. Yeah. So we were home alone <laughs> and it was rough. You know, twins are, I mean, one baby already when you're not sleeping is rough, but twins, I did really want to breastfeed. And that was another thing um, that it, would, it just was really hard. I didn't prepare for that. I didn't go to any classes about breastfeeding. Like I was just one of those folks. I was like, oh, you know, it's natural. Like, I'm sure I'll figure it out. Um, and that was a big mistake. <laughs> so, but again, because, you know, like we had spent so much money on the IVF and on midwife, a doula, like I was just like, I can't afford, we couldn't afford a lactation consultant. <clears throat> so like we called like friends, of course, like my midwife tried to help um, at the hospital. They tried to help, but the lactation consultant there was, but I feel like everything, nice. <laughs> like everything is a hospital is kind of a blur. You know, I mean, she had obviously gone through something. So he, like, I, I just remember thinking like, she just went through this doing so much, her body going through so much, everything that when the babies came in, I remember like, they were very, they were very loud. Like I remember thinking like, oh my, I didn't think it'd be so loud. <laughs> And I remember like at night they would come in and say, Hey, listen, they could go into the nursery. And because she, she wasn't getting sleep. I, I, I was definitely not getting sleep and thinking like she needs to rest. And then part of me felt like kind of guilty, like, Oh my God, I'm already putting my kids in daycare and they're like only a day old, <laughs> but like we needed the break. So I was like, we should take advantage of this and just let them chill in there. And then we'll see them in a couple of hours. But it was like the only time that we, because I, I figured once we left, like, we're not getting that respite time, you know? And so, I, but I remember feeling a little bit of guilt about that, too. Like, maybe they should be with us 24-7. 
Um, but then I thought like they also need to be checked out by the doctors and they need to go through all these like tests and everything. So, um, but a couple of days in the hospital, it was, it was a lot. Cause she was, like I said, had gone through so much. Um, I was just stealing items from the hospital as much as I could. I, that was basically my, that, that was my mission was people would bring stuff for us. And I would just say, no, I just need duffel bags. I need you to put duffel bags and duffel bags and duffel bags so that when we leave, it just looks like our belongings. Um, but we had gotten, we had, we had gotten remote controls. I mean, they, 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 they're like, you can have diapers and stuff, but I was like, no, I, I want. So yeah, I think it was definitely an adjustment. Uh, we slept in the, so the last like three months of pregnancy, we slept on the couch in the living room and they slept with me out there. They were a trooper. And so we just continued sleeping in the living room. Luckily we had a, a sing, like a single storage. So Sing, single story house, single story house. So we didn't have to worry about like <laughs> stairs or anything, but um, yeah, it was rough. No sleeping. I remember baby B. So that's Joseph. He would not sleep. Um, he was also a lot smaller, so it was really hard for him to breastfeed. Sophia just wanted to, but she would get, you know, I didn't like realize like hunger cues and all of that. So like by the time I would put her to my breast, like she was just uncontrollable screaming. So, I mean, I had some help by like friends who had uh, what were breastfeeding, but I ended up, so I kept trying, kept trying. And then finally I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like we did, we supplemented with formula and then I went to exclusively pumping, I think around like two months. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by the time I went back to work, my mom came over and helped. Uh, She stayed with me for two weeks, which was great (laughs) because she let me sleep a little bit. Uh, And then I went back to work at four months. Um, so I quit their job because it was just too much to pay for childcare. And I think like I, I started having some feelings of, uh, depression, but I didn't, it didn't really, I don't think fully hit me until I went back to work. And I think within a month of being back to work, that's really when my postpartum depression got intense. Um, And I remember like a day just like going to the bathroom and feeling like, like I remember thinking like I'm spiraling out of control. I like need to be institutionalized. Like I was just like this crazy, all these crazy thoughts that were coming into my head. Um, And at that point I remember going back into my office and being like, I need to get help. Like I need to do something. Something's like off. Um, And at that point I had reached out to my midwife and she was out of town, but she connected me to another uh, nurse midwife locally who um, I went to go see and she saw me right away. And uh, I was able to get on antidepressants and start that process. So I was very grateful for that. <laughs> Sai, did you notice any of that before she said it? Like, were there things that stood out to you? No, I mean, not really uh, that, that I could see. Like, I think my wife is very good at kind of compartmentalizing things. And I think that when the kids were, when the kids came home, it was, I mean, people always ask us, what's it like with twins? And we said, we don't know anything else. We didn't, we didn't have, you know, so everything from the sleep to the feedings to the, just the constant, uh, 
just being there for them, I think I was so overwhelmed that I did not really see. And I look back and think I, I should have been more attuned to like her feeling that way. Um, but like she said, we hadn't slept. I mean, I, it really feels like we didn't, when people say you don't sleep, you really don't because you might get a good hour or two in there. And then when you're up, it's kind of like, you're just going through the motions some days of like, okay, well, it's, it's, is it diaper time? Is it feeding time? It's, it's so much, it's so overwhelming. And we didn't really have a lot of support. I mean, like her mother helped out. Um, but like my parents were going through a lot, they couldn't be there. And uh, I don't have any other family that could really just pop in and go, Hey, we'll watch the kids. You get some sleep. Like we didn't really have that. So it was just constant. So I think her going through um, the depression and all, I didn't really see it because she kind of, I, I feel like I said, compartmentalized it and did it when people couldn't see it. And um, when she brought it to my attention, like it made, it all made sense. Sure. Cause like, I know my wife, but um, I think also like it was very scary to think of because it's not like for most of us, you can just pause and go, okay, let me take care of myself right now. Like you're doing that at the same time that you're, you have infants at home. So newborns. Really. Yeah. So, and I remember like thinking, you know, like we work so hard for these babies and I just could not connect with them. And I would see them like, you know, like loving all up on them and, and I would be so jealous. I would just like stare at them and just be like, I should be feeling something else, you know? Um, but like once I got help and I was able to like, you know, talk to the nurse and she was like telling me like, you know, these are normal thoughts. Like I know you think that they're horrible thoughts that you're having about your children, but like these are normal. A lot of parents have it. Um. Yeah. I mean, and I think for a lot of us, we don't, we're not, we don't, people don't talk about it. Right. I certainly didn't think about it. And, um, so yeah, just was, mm -hmm. it's a lot. Mm -hmm. I just, thought. it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they found the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but things that I think about, you know, when you're sharing your journey is one, Community support should be available, mm -hmm. full community support. There should be actual support for people, postpartum doulas, whatever it is, should be available to people. Lactation support should be available mm -hmm. to people. And I really think about that, like especially for those who have had um, hospital births, that care ends when you go home. <laughs> no one is coming to you. No one is checking on you until six weeks. Yeah. So much happens yeah. from the time you leave the hospital door yeah. to get to your car. Like someone should be checking up on you. Yeah. Um, yep. And like you said, when you're in the hospital, like you're still in shock. Y'all yeah. <laughs> yeah. let me take in these babies home. Like yeah. well, I remember even like one day it was like the day we were leaving and I was asking about the car seat. Because I mean, mind you, this is like, this is seven years ago, right? So like, yeah, you could go on YouTube and find some things, but the internet wasn't as supportive as it is now. Um, and so they, they couldn't give you guidance because of a liability issue. And she's like, okay, I'm not supposed to say these things, but I'm going to say these things. And then I remember asking the nurse and looking back now, this is probably one of my most like naive moments. As I said, like you have these little living things, right? And I said, 
how, what should be the temperature of the house? Like, because thinking like if they were in an incubator or something and they're outside of the body now, and she's like, I don't know, like normal, like, I don't know, between 70, like 73, 79, like whatever your house is, it's okay. And I was like, was that a stupid question to ask? Because I feel like they're in a whole new environment now and I should make it as comfortable for them as possible. And this nurse just looked at me like, no, like you're, you just bring them home. And I remember thinking like, there has to be more to it than that. You know, like if I buy something at Ikea, I get a manual that's like 36 pages long for that item of furniture. And you're just going to put them in my car and I'm just going to take them home. You know? Yeah. There should be a car seat person yes. at every single hospital. I don't know why this is. If you, if it's not, if a, if a nurse or a doctor can't help me mm-hmm. get my car seat together, because not everybody is getting their car seat together. And some people are just showing up because they weren't even expecting to have their baby at that time. Yeah. You should have a person along with your valet service yep. who <laughs> tells people how to put their car seats in. Yeah. Oh my God. It's a trainable yeah. skill. Yeah. Like, why are we taking these to the fire department? Right. Why, why are we going to the firehouse to get our car right. seats put together? Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So clearly we can't do it. Remember, we did that. And I remember palming the guy some money, some extra cash, as if, like, he would give me VIP service of, like, putting – and he's a firefighter. He's like, I'm not supposed to take your money. And I'm like, look, I don't care. I'm from Vegas. Like, I feel like if I give you a little extra, you'll take a little bit more care in doing it. So – But, Laura, I think, you know, that support piece, I think, looking back – I was very much like, oh, we got this. We got this. We don't need support. And like, I I definitely had friends who would stop by and like hang out with me like while they were at work still. Um, But I remember like just not feeling like I could ask for support. Like if, if I did ask for support, then it was somehow like I was not a good enough mom, you know? And obviously now I know like the importance of support and, how we have to, we have to just let people help us and give them things to do. Cause people, there's so many people that wanted to help, you know, but you're just kind of like, now I'm like, Oh, you can go do the laundry. You can go do the dishes. How about you make me a meal? You know? But back then I was just like, Oh, we got it. We could do it all. <laughs> and no, we couldn't. And I think about though, if it was just embedded in our care plan, then yeah. we wouldn't have to force people to ask for help. Yeah. If it was already embedded in the care plan that you have someone coming to your house once a week, mm-hmm. then we don't even have to worry about that. We don't have to force people to ask for something that they might not even think that they need or are afraid to ask for or don't even know is an option if it was just already embedded in their care. Yeah. Yep. Solved. Yep. Definitely. Absolutely. Some things came up for me as you talked about your postpartum depression. Um there are a couple factors that can, you know, mitigate that. And just kind of one is lack of sleep, mm-hmm. right? And then the other is trauma. So we don't always think about birth being trauma. And if we do think about birth trauma, we think of the extremes, right? Um, it's just anything that can happen that affects our mind and body's connection, right? That can be considered a trauma, right? Your body's doing a thing. We're giving birth. All of a sudden, we're numb. What happened, right? The numbness comes off. The body's like, what the heck just happened, right? And, you know, catching your mind up to what 
is happening to your body and allowing all those hormones that need to flow during pregnancy and labor and delivery, which you know now, of course, right, Christina? But um, in, the, in those times, we're not teaching and sharing all this information. Like, we're just like, be wary of these signs for postpartum. But it's like, can you at least tell me that I've already started to hit some of the tickers as I'm leaving out of here that, you know, that these are the things that we need to be watching more closely because I'm already susceptible to it, right? And I think too, especially when we talk about belly birth, like back then I remember like everyone just talking about it like it was nonchalantly, you know, like, oh, I scheduled my C-section or, and you know, not to shame anyone for that, um, but it's just like, you don't know what an intense surgery it is until afterwards. Like I remember the first time I had to get up and I was just, I was like, I can't get up. Like, there's just no way I can walk and just like literally crying and being in so much pain. And I also like refused the pain medication because I had thought like, again, like, oh, I don't want anything to mess up my supply for breastfeeding. And then I just let it go too much until I was in so much pain that I was like, I need something like I can't take this pain, you know? And so, yeah, you just don't realize the trauma that that brings to you, especially when it's something that, you know, if you schedule it, then you schedule it and you're like, good. Like I know what I'm, what's happening and I'm good with that decision. But when it's something that it's not something you wanted or even thought ever was like an option that was going to happen, it does bring, some of that trauma to your body. Thank you both for sharing your journey with us. Is there anything else that you want to share, whether it be resources, advice, anything else from your birth? I I think something that really helped me that I didn't realize was um, when the kids were born, we had some friends who were also, um, they, it was a queer um, family and they were bringing a child in. And I remember the one um, person who was not the, gestational parent reaching out to me and saying, do you feel like, like, so kind of like lost and like, you're not connected because you're not that parent. I was like, I never thought about it before, but now I am thinking about it. And I remember her and I having some, some long chats about that. Like, okay, how is that going to reflect in our parenting or how is that supporting our partner? But like, is that something that we don't think about that we should actually kind of probably process a little bit. And it's something that I think about a lot, but it's not something that I think brings me um, where I feel like I'm at a disadvantage. That's just always something that's on my mind. And I think that's something we should probably talk about more is that connection. If there isn't like this, you know, biological connection to the child of like, what does that mean as they get older, as they have questions about things like we should be prepared for that as well. Yeah. And we talked to the kiddos about that. There's some really great books out there to talk about IVF and donor sperm and all of that. So now I think we started having that conversation with them when they started asking around like five. So, I mean, I think the only other thing that I would say would be for anyone doing um, like IVF or anything like that to find support of people who have gone through that. Um, Because while family and friends are awesome, (laughs) it's a a long journey. (laughs) And finding those folks that have gone through a similar journey, even though it may not be your own, but, you know, just understanding like all that it 
entails and how much strain, like even in your marriage or like your body, your mind, all of that is really finding that support. Both of those are amazing advice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.